My t-shirt this morning, I mean, if you could call it that, has a little pocket right here. I don't know what this is about, but the first four or five people that saw this asked me, this is where I keep my cigarettes. I don't know what, I had no idea that that's what that was for. Uh, I, I keep my cigarettes in my back pocket. I don't even know. Okay. 86% of adults claim to have fulfilled the eighth commandment, don't steal. 86% of adults think they are above board when it comes to stealing, which leads us, it's a nice transition into next week's message, don't lie. <laughs> and you're not lying. You're not lying when you say, I haven't broken the eighth commandment. What, you're, what you would be saying is that you don't fully understand the depth of the commandment, which is what we've been learning about all of the commandments. Really, last week we talked about adultery, and most people feel like they have escaped that particular one too. And what we discover is that in our thoughts and in our hearts, we have all been unfaithful to our spouse if you happen to be married, and we are um, experts at infidelity in many, many ways. Um, if we keep the commandments in some kind of a pristine space of these enormously big sins that we should never do, we will have missed it entirely. The Ten Commandments reflect the character of God, and they are expected to refine the character of us in all of these critical areas of life. Uh, no less uh, stealing. Stealing is much more than taking something that doesn't belong to you. I, I, I would imagine that most of you have not taken things that don't belong to you. But according to the Old Testament, stealing, maybe this is the best way I can put it, stealing are illegitimate increases in your life. Illegitimate increases in your life in the areas of productivity, we see this in the Old Testament, property, profit, and power. Uh, you can steal what you need to increase your capacity or to increase your ownership or to, to gain in these areas. So when we talk about productivity, in the Old Testament, this was a prohibition against kidnapping and forced marriage that you, you, would, you would steal somebody for your own means of productivity. That's what you would do. You would, kid, you would kidnap somebody. You would steal uh, somebody else's slave, somebody else's worker, and use them. You would steal or, or uh, coerce a marriage so that you could be more productive in your uh, multiplication in the world to illegitimately increase your ability to be productive is stealing in the Old Testament, increasing property. Particularly in the Old Testament, this was a prohibition against secretly moving boundary markers. That's what you would do. You would secretly move a boundary marker and you would have illegitimately increased, uh, well, it kind of plays back into productivity, right? You would have more land, which is the, which is the equivalent of blessing in the Old Testament, children and land. You could get it by illegitimate means. God says that's stealing. The Old Testament refers to illegitimate profit through what, right? False measurements, inferior goods, high interest rates. Amazon is stealing from you on a daily basis. 
They are, they, they, and they, they're not always responsible, right? This, this sort of thing happens where there's, a, there's an inferior product posing as a quality product, and you end up buying it for quality product prices. That, that the Bible sees selling of an inferior product at normal prices stealing. It makes sense. And what I mean by the increase of power is what we do when we harm other people through gossip, backstabbing, ridicule, degrading, tearing down, right? When you do that to another person, you reduce their personal sense of value and you reduce their value in the community in which you live. When we gossip about somebody, when we talk about someone, when we backstab somebody, we actually reduce their power. We reduce their value and reciprocally, right, we by comparison, rise in value. If you could degrade, degrade everybody within your sphere of influence, suddenly you would be more valued. That's an illegitimate means of increase according to the Old Testament, and it's stealing. When we turn to the New Testament, we see many of the same indications of what stealing is, but this, the New Testament gives us uh, maybe a clearer picture of who it is we steal from. So it's, it's a good thing to think about your life in, in light of this commandment from this illegitimate gain means, like where might I be stealing and increasing my value illegitimately through, right? So profit, power, those four things, production, property. But the New Testament allows us another grid to think about, am I stealing from these particular people? And the New Testament talks about Children, um, other relationships, employees, employers, society, governments, and God. Let me step through these quickly, each one by one. For children, we, we fail quite often in our... Let me pull up a different message here. I know that sounds weird, but in the middle of the message, there's one I did some adaptations to that I don't have in front of me. So how do we steal from children? Well, maybe the most obvious, at least to me, is when we steal our, the, our children's innocence or we take advantage of their innocence. You, you know that the movies we watch and the music we listen to is directed to a younger crowd than you, almost always. They're manipulating those that are unaware that they're being manipulated. I also uh, think uh, I see this sort of stealing of the innocence of children when I see adults making jokes at children's expense. I, there's something, he does something funny and we make a joke and the, all the adults laugh at that, whatever. And I think we think we're unaware of what's going on, that the child might be unaware. I guarantee you they are not on a spiritual level. And we gain something from that. We made a joke. We got some humor. We got someone laughing with us and for us at the expense of a child. I think at times we call on our children to perform in order to boost our own ego. We're extracting something from them for my benefit. This is a form of stealing. Uh, in relationships, uh, well beyond money, which happens. We steal from one another just straight up possessions. But how often are we manipulating 
love or attention from another person? How far are we demanding of a person more than they want to give, whether relationally, physically? When we do, when we make demands on other people, we are stealing from them for our own benefit. And maybe some of these other ones are obvious, the employers. It's, you know, what you see in the scripture is, is things working against fraud and embezzlement. Um, when you tarnish the reputation of your employer out in public, you're stealing, you're stealing from them. And in employees, we see this quite a bit. And, um, and there's a passage fairly popular in James chapter 5 where he talks about uh, a parable about unfair pay and overwork. It goes like this. He said, you've hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are carrying out against, are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened yourself in the day of slaughter, right? You've increased, you have condemned, listen, you have condemned and murdered the innocent, the innocent one who is not opposing you. They're working for you and you are condemning them. You're murdering them. You, you, are, you are stealing from the personhood, the value of that person. And you're killing them. We steal from society. This has almost become okay. <laughs> like, you get, get whatever you can. You know, the world's just working against us. It's corrupt and so steal from it. it you know, the, the world deserves it. This is how... It goes in the New Testament. This is in Second Thessalonians. Nor did we, we didn't eat any, this is Paul, we didn't eat anyone's food without paying for it. When we came to you, we didn't eat without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. The Bible tells us that not working, not working is stealing. And then government, this is clear. You know, Jesus talks about, you know, the, the parable or the, the story about the coin and the denarius and what the disciples are asking him, what about taxes? What do we do with this? And he says, give me a coin. Whose image is on that? They say, it's Caesar's. And he said, well, so give to Caesar what's Caesar's and to God, what is God? The whole context is taxes. And he's saying, look, pay your taxes. Don't steal from the government. And then we get to the, the highest order here, which is God or what you might consider the church, if that church is godly and gospel-oriented and working for the kingdom. It is the way that God works himself out in the world is, is through the church. And we have verses that many of us are familiar with in the Old Testament. You have Malachi 3.8, and God refers to uh, this sort of withholding is another form of stealing as you're robbing me. He says, no, you're robbing me. You rob me. You ask, how are we robbing you? He says, in your tithes and offerings. He says, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're, you're robbing me. It, it, it burdens you because you're robbing the Lord. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and that there may be food in my house. Test me, God says, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. The call to giving in God's eyes, is stealing when we withhold it, and really a ticket, if you will, a pathway to blessing on the flip side of it. 
He says, when you withhold, when you keep, when you steal, in any of these forms, God says, you're only killing yourself. I want to bless you, but you've got to do it my way. This stealing from God, stealing from the church, if you care to put it in those terms, is often more in the form of withholding. We see this in the New Testament with Ananias and Sapphira. They promised to sell a piece of property and give those proceeds to the church, and they didn't, and then they lied about it, and they literally died. We see, we see in physical form what God is telling us now. In spiritual form, just happens to us. I think I mentioned this to you earlier, but um, the, church, the church struggles in this just like anybody else the percentages of charitable giving aren't dramatically different inside the church and they are, as they are outside the church. And they are sort of, you know, arguably uh, low. God calls us to 10%. You know, he says, hey, just start there. And you think, ah, it's an, that's an Old Testament thing. And I think, yeah, this is the way I teach it. Yeah, it is Old Testament, just like murder. <laughs> God says, don't murder, but it's deeper than that. And the Old Testament says, give 10%. And then Jesus says, give what? All of it. Okay, that's complicated, right? How, how often can you give all of your money? Once. Then you're done giving, <laughs> right? That's, it. You, that, that's not going to happen, and that's not, the, that's not the sentiment, but I'll get to that in a second. I just wanted to um, make you aware of some things. To, to me, these are just eye-opening, interesting statistics. Uh, there are two groups of people that come very close to actually tithing on the whole in, in America. Two groups. And it is those who make less than $50,000 a year and those who make more than $10 million a year. What is that about? I, I've seen this throughout my, my pastoral career that oftentimes those with the least amount give the greatest percentage of it back. There's a message there somewhere about how attached we are. The least amount of charitable giving in the demographic is between 100,000 and 500,000 earners a year. That, that's where the least is. Because I think for the most part, we are caught in that space of, I, 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 I don't have quite enough. I don't have quite enough. When, when, you're in the, when you're in the lower income space, there, there's not really this sort of hope in one sense that you're going to ever have enough. So that's not the goal. So you're a little more charitable. I've seen this, I've seen this in Cambodia. They're going to see it again. We have all literally handed a child a little pack of candy, and they have nothing, and they immediately turn and share it with the other kids. Their life is not about what they have because it can't be. And then I guess, I don't know, I can't come up with another explanation for it, but at some point, even in the American psyche, you can get to a point where you think you have enough. <laughs> and it's like 10 million, I guess. I don't know. You know, we just, you know it's, just, it's just an interesting statistic. 5% of Americans tithe, which means they give 10%. 80% of Americans give about 2%. On the whole, Christians give about 2.5%. In the Great Depression, the church gave 3.3%. Like something's wrong with us, right? 
37% of people in church and evangelicals don't give at all to the church. And in the recent years, 17% of American families have reduced the amount they give to the church. 7% of church growers have dropped regularly by 20%. Like, it's a downward trend. This is what I said. It's not just us. It's, it's across the board. And God's calling us into this space. So when Jesus asks for all of it, what, what is going on there? We understand this to mean a posture of heart. <clears throat> there is a almost... It's almost hard to not have this be a part of the way we think, that we, can, we, we give charitably, and it doesn't mean that it's not genuine. This does not mean it. Like we give charitably to a degree that we think is right and good, and what that does is free us up to spend all the rest of it from sort of a guilt-free posture, Right, so I've given, I've done good. It's like moral equivalency. That happens beyond money too. When you're someone, you do something that's good, you're, you, you contribute, you serve, you do whatever, sort of permits you to be bad every now and then. So you're kind of even. The same thing happens financially. We charitably give. And what Jesus is saying is, look, everything you have is God's. And now you should be conscientious with every dollar, but not just what you give. What you have is a gift, and it should be used by you in the right ways in your life. And let's just make sure, God says. And I think the other thing I think Jesus is saying is just be ready. Just be ready. If I need you, if I need your time, if I need your resource, I'm going to ask you for it. And I don't want to find you in this position of gripping on to the gifts that I've given you. I need you to be free from that. I need you to trust me. And so Jesus says, all that you have is a gift. It's yours to steward. Steward all of it. Okay, so we have some structures here from the Old Testament and the New Testament to help us look into our hearts and see if we are stealing. We can think about if we've got illegitimate increases in productivity, property, power, Missed one P. Does anybody remember it already? Um, and then you've got these different ways of looking at the demographics and the who. We sometimes forget that we could be stealing from certain people that we're not aware of. I think I've intimated this last uh, little bit, uh, this last thing. One last demographic who is deeply harmed by the various forms of stealing that we do whether conscious or unconscious, that's the scary part, where we are unconsciously withholding good from others, where we are stealing in ways that maybe not fit the typical definition. There is another demographic who's being harmed, and it's you. It's you. The very actions that are meant oftentimes in our lives to maximize ourselves are actually eroding our soul. Not in all cases, but it is very difficult to be a Christian and maximize your life. It is not the demonstration of Jesus or the apostles or the church historically. The goal is not to maximize our lives. We're called to lose them. And when we try to maximize them and increase in ways that are illegitimate, we minimize our life in negative ways, actually. You know, the verse Paul shares to the Galatians, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. 
We get so much wisdom from the Proverbs. We're going to actually move to the Proverbs. I don't know if it's the next series or the one following. It might be the next one. We've got teed up all the wisdom that comes out of there. Whoever digs a pit, this is great. This is like, this is high level stuff right here. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it. If someone rolls a stone, it will roll back on them. Both of these verses carry the universal principle that the consequences of one's actions return to them. We suffer the most. Well, I shouldn't say the most. We suffer when we steal in any sort of way. Stealing in all of its forms is a slow, subtle killing of the self that God intends for you to be. All the while making it feel like we are gaining, that we are increasing, that we are being maximized. Every little, every little thing counts. Um, occasionally, I learn something from a movie. It's very rare, but sometimes we do. I don't even remember what movie this was. It might have happened in my real life, for all I know. I'm 57 now. Some of my stories <clears throat> are mine, and some of them are movies, and I don't even know which one it is anymore. <clears throat> my wife will commonly tell me, she goes, you know that didn't happen to you, and you just told everybody that it did. And I was like, it did happen to me. She goes, no, I was there. It didn't happen. I was like, okay, well, I, my conscience is clean because I thought it did. I thought for sure that it did. So whether a movie or whether it was me, what happened was <clears throat> the person at the register was confronted with a situation where the person that was buying said that they just gave them a 20 when they actually just gave them a 10. Say so that they were getting money from the, from the store owner uh, through basically a lie. <clears throat> and the store owner, yeah, I think this actually, I actually watched this happen now that I think about it. Because um, when I stepped up there, he said to me, boy, how little a person will sell their soul for these days. Because he didn't really confront you. She's like, oh, whatever. And I thought, wow, that's so true. You think, oh, it's just $10. But this person understood the deeper ramifications of wrongful action to another person, that it's killing you. That, thing, that person think they just gained $10 and they actually lost a piece of their soul. When you're illegitimately trying to add to your worth by stealing, you bury your, even your sense, your innate sense of your personal value. And that's true in all of the commandments. When we break the commandments of God, when we live outside the constraints of how God wants us to live, you are actually losing your sense of value in God's eyes, which is what you need more than anything. I think the, 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 the point of action here is to give yourself no latitude when it comes to the integrity of your life. Preserve it on the highest level. Otherwise, you're hurting yourself and the world. So here's where we are. I'm gonna wrap this up. Illegitimate increases to production, property, uh, power, and profit. That's what I missed. Uh, victims of stealing range from children to God Withholding can be a part of the stealing uh, definition, and it has the opposite effect. You don't gain by stealing, ever. It's a comprehensive net loss to society that includes you. At the core, here's what we're saying. Maybe this is what all of the commandments are saying. 
at the core, stealing is an act of dehumanizing other people. You're taking away their opportunity to flourish. You're taking away their dignity. You're taking away their means and adding it to yourself. You are dehumanizing. We're maximizing ourselves and consciously or unintentionally, whichever one, minimizing others. And we will continue to do so if we don't pay attention because we become numb upon numb upon numb on the negative effects of our actions on another person's life. What's the solution here? It's actually just work, honestly. Stealing. Think about this. At its core is the avoidance of the work that is yours. Somebody worked for what they have, whether it's their dignity or their dollars that you're taking because you didn't work for it, right? There's something very powerful about the parable and the stories that Jesus tells and the teaching that Paul makes about the advantages and the, uh, and the, the critical nature of work. We need to get to work in a very simple sense and even in a spiritual sense. Here's the other thing we're saying. So if one thing is we just, we just, need, to, we just need to work, God calls us to work. It's a gift to be able to work. Seems lost a little bit in some spaces, right? Like my grandfather clearly understood the value and the dignity behind work. And I think I know that I, I, I share that, but not to the degree that he did. There is something that has been lost through the generations. There's something very edifying, something very value-rich about work. Even if you don't need to something good about it. The other thing that we're saying is that um, the opposite of sort of this, if I should be extreme, murderous nature of stealing, the other work that we need to do is this multifaceted giving of life, right? Instead of taking it, let's, let's give back. Let's give it back. You know what? You know what? Speaking of, do you know what a, uh, have I told you this joke before? This is a joke, by the way, so you get ready to laugh. <clears throat> what, do you, if you, what do you get when you play a country record backwards? You get your car back, your trailer back, your wife back. You get your, you know, because you lose everything in a country song. You play it backwards, you just get everything back. So we want to turn this thing around, and then rather than stealing, rather than taking, we want to give back, which just is another way to describe the deep character of God. Remember, these are, these are the character, character aspects of God. To not steal, don't steal. What is the character of God that's behind that? Generosity, giving of life, right? Particularly in the giving of himself as the death sentence substitute to cover our unacceptable attempts at life, right? We, we are covered by the gift of God in Christ. We are forgiven, and our generosity comes from the deepest generosity of God's heart of the giving of himself. We see it in Jesus. He was generous and giving to the point of his own life. And our life rests on that. The Bible says we forgive because he first forgave us. We give because he gave to us. We are generous because the heart of God is generous. The opposite of stealing isn't really not stealing. It's generosity. 
And generosity from a Christian perspective is actually self-transfer, right? It's a self-withdrawal and an other's deposit, right? All of the gospels, the synoptic as well as John, they, they all have this teaching, which is, speaks something. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. Jesus teaches his disciples and the Bible teaches us about the paradoxical nature of the kingdom of God, that by giving up, by losing our life for the sake of Christ and the gospel, we gain life and we give life. We are encouraged throughout the New Testament to develop the character of God one of selflessness, sacrifice, commitment to the cause of Christ. Generosity is increasing the production and the property and the profit and the personhood of others through personal reduction. Generosity is giving up extra fruit for deeper roots. Generosity is giving up eye-catching heights for instead God-affirmed depth and future and eternal breadth. It's out of the outcome of the gospel, or rather I should say the outcome of the gospel in our life is generosity. The soil, that's the outcome. The generous life is the opposite of the stealing life. The soil out of which the gospel takes root and flourishes in our life into generosity is your heart. It is always your heart. True generosity flourishes out of a humble, faithful, loving you. Instead of a you that is dying from living outside the bounds of what God calls us to, we keep returning to Jesus. We keep returning to his life, his teaching, his forgiveness, his promises, and we grow, our heart deepens in humility and faith in the provider and love of others, and our life expresses generosity. I don't like my conclusion, so let me pray. I try to let God conclude for us here. What are we saying to you, God? What are we saying? What we're saying is we want to trust you. We don't want to believe the lie that by stealing in any form or fashion that could any be ever be good. We're also saying Forgive us, God, for devaluing others, either through what they have or through who they are. God, would you forgive us? Help us to reflect your character in the world through this very simple command to not steal. Help us to be a light in this world, a breath of fresh air in this world. Help us to be a people facilitating the flourishing of the world that you created through our generosity in Jesus' name. Amen.